this was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. I saw three long bony fingers reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear. When he came over to me, dude, he slithered over to me. And this giant comes out of the cave and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. Well, the giant moves. He's got a spear in one hand and he's running really fast and spears Dan and holds him up like this. Somebody yells, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. They basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge and I blowed his head off. I feel something pulling at my leg. And I look over and there are two small gray entities pulling at me. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I reached my hand into this bush and I touched air. Couldn't breathe and I couldn't move because I know I'm seeing a monster. Welcome to the show, everybody. You're listening to The Confessionals. I am your host, Tony Merkel. Thank you for being here. This is a bonus episode that is brought to you very unexpectedly, but at times things happen in life where you need to do certain things for other people, and this show is a direct reflection of that. You see, today I got a message on Twitter from a guy named Kevin who reached out to me several times before. He loves the show, and he told me that today this week he's been listening to the show and it's been helping him get through the hardest time of his life you see Kevin unexpectedly lost his 17 year old son this week to an accident and Kevin man I don't know what you're going through all I can do is imagine how you feel And I got to tell you, man, I feel for you. I feel for your family. And I really hope that you guys pull through strong on this one. I want you to know that I'm going to be keeping you in my prayers. I'm going to be keeping your family in my prayers. And I hope that everybody that listens to the sound of my voice right now does the same exact thing. Because no parent should ever have to go through what you're going through right now, man. And I want you to know that here at The Confessionals, there's a whole community, thousands of people that listen to this show and know about your situation and that they're pulling for you. They're pulling for your family. You guys aren't in this alone. We're in it together with you. And Kevin, since you've been listening to the show to keep your mind off things... That's what this show's about. This show goes out to you, Kevin. You and your family. So today we have Austin coming on, who is actually a returning guest from 
episode 111, The Abduction Cover-Up. Many people remember that show, and I'm sure many people loved that show because I got lots of messages on it. And so I thought today would be a great day to give you guys a sequel to it. I sat down with Austin, and he gave me some updates as to what has happened since the last time we talked. And uh, we also go into paranormal experiences that he's had throughout his life. And so without any further delay, let's get to Austin. Austin, how you doing, man? Doing well, man. Thanks for having me back. I'm glad you're here. So if anybody is new to the show or doesn't recognize Austin's voice, we did a show with Austin a couple months ago, and uh, his show was the um, the abduction cover-up that actually kind of involved the confessionals a little bit too. And people really were drawn in by the story, Austin, that you had to share, and then how it also involved the show. And since then, you have uncovered certain things about your experiences that really set you off and um, it kind of pushed you back a little bit. So what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of put a uh, an ending period note on your experiences and we're just going to let you kind of share um, any kind of follow-up information you feel comfortable sharing. And uh, I think after you're done sharing this, uh, the audience will understand that why you feel uncomfortable talking about it now. So if you want, um, I know if you want, you can kind of just go into how uh, you went into getting getting more information. And I know you've been dealing with a sickness that you also believe has been part of this, right? Yeah, man, that's correct. So um, to kind of tie up on the sickness thing, I'm finally kind of recovering from that um, within the past week and a half, maybe two weeks at the most. Um, but since the day before I talked to you, which I believe our interview was like February 2nd, I believe. And the night before that on the first, I started getting really sick and it was just for a period of between like eight to nine uh, PM till about six in the morning where I'd just be violently sick. And, uh, that's continued on since talking to you every night. Like I'm completely fine during the day. Um, but I ended up losing about 45 pounds. Um, since that initial, uh, you know, February 1st, since it initially started, uh, up until about a week and a half ago. So finally recovering a little bit from that. Yeah, I've been to the doctors. They've never been able to pinpoint anything. It was not a viral, uh, infection or bacterial infection, uh, nothing like that. So, uh, it's, it's been crazy, man. Yeah. I can understand. I can understand. It's been crazy, dude. I can't imagine going through a sickness thinking that, it's not just something normal where the doctors can diagnose it, but it might be something else that um, you might have brought yeah. on yourself for not, you know, staying in line kind of thing. And we had Carrie Berner on the show, who is the ex-Catholic nun, who was talking about just what this, where, you know, she had nanotechnology placed in her body and she had to go through this stuff to actually get it out of her body. And it's not like something you can just go to a doctor and they give you, you know, um, some prescription for. Uh, it's something that she had to figure out on her own. And um, hopefully, you know, it doesn't get to that point for you and stuff. I'm glad it's starting to turn around for you, but it's a shame that you, you went through it to begin with. Um, why don't you yeah, uh, I, I just, you know, I've replayed it all in, in my mind. Yeah, I can't help but think it was 
a mistake to not just you know stay in line and keep my mouth shut but at the same time i don't regret uh, coming forward and talking to you about it and uh, and sharing it uh, but it's definitely a scary thing i, I never would have imagined happening yeah i don't think many people would imagine it happening to them uh it still doesn't feel like i've had people email me and say i have to watch my back and things like that and and i don't feel like that even though maybe i should I don't feel like that. And maybe it's because I deal with this kind of stuff a lot. Like you're not the only person I talk to. I've talked to several people over the past few years that are more sensitive information kind of things. And some of the stuff wasn't even on the air, but just the fact that they talked to me about it made me feel a little uncomfortable. And, um, you know, it's just one of those things where I don't know if I should be looking over my shoulder or not, but I, I really don't. A lot of times it's just because maybe I've just gotten used to things. I've just gotten used to this as my new normal. Um, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm sorry that you, you had to go through that. Uh, why don't you share with the audience a little bit of how you came about to maybe further understanding your experiences and how it kind of scared you to the point where you don't feel comfortable talking about it to people. In fact, it's just so the audience knows, since you went through some things to get more information, you haven't told me anything. All you told me is that you don't feel comfortable talking about it. And so whatever you feel like comfortable sharing today and stuff, uh, go for it. And if I ask you a question that you don't feel comfortable talking about, just let me know. All right, man. Um, yeah. So like I said, you know, that interview was on, on the second, I believe, um, which was a Saturday. And then on, um, the sixth, I believe it was, um, I quit, you know, keeping tabs of notes and everything. I just kind of wanted to block it all out after this. Um, uh, but, um, on the sixth, I got to work. Um, and of course, you know, we talked about the whole, uh, deal with them, you know, removing my license and everything and, and what a pain in the ass that was. Um, so I got to work, um, and just a couple hours into the day, uh, we were in like our eight o'clock meeting and we were going over, you know, the, the plan for, um, the following day and, um, the volume cover, the number of cases that we were supposed to do was going to come in really light. So I was, I'm on the Sunday through Wednesday crew. So the next day would have been a Thursday and they, uh, elected that I wouldn't really need to stay the rest of that Wednesday. And I wouldn't need to come in on Thursday and get the actual a few days off for the first time in forever. And uh, so she went ahead and cut me loose um, right after the 8 a.m. meeting. So I called my ride to come pick me back up, you know, for the inconvenience you now and everything. Uh, just dropping me off a couple hours earlier. And uh, as I was sitting there waiting, you know, I thought I'm going to try to go ahead and, and reach out to, you know, another, you know, a specialist to do try to see if I can get in for a hypnosis thing, and uh, I believe uh, that I had already set it up prior, and it was going to be a couple of days later. I think I had it set up for that Friday, but I asked since I was getting off early and was going to be coming back through town if I could just go ahead and get in, and he said, "Yeah, no problem." Um, so I went ahead and, and did that. I shot you the message letting you know that what I was getting ready to go do. And, um, you know, when I went in there, it was kind of like a brief rundown of why I was there, what I was hoping to, uh, you know, to get out of it. And, uh, we kind of went into it and 
you know, some of the information that I got, <clears throat> it was, it was probably some of the most disturbing, um, things that I'd ever heard. And, uh, it was just, it was really troubling. I had a really hard time with it. Uh, I came home afterwards and, uh, really just kind of sat on it for a while for a few hours, I believe, trying to let it all sink in what, what had just happened and what I had, you know, what I had said and, and, you know, the things that I was remembering. And, uh, it was really, it really, really troubling. Um, I mean, I, it, it really shook me up to think that I was a part of that and the things that I had uh, done while I was, you know, in this whole program, uh, it was just, it, it bothered me and uh, I didn't want to talk about it anymore. Um, just for the fact that I was having such a hard time with it. And I know we had talked, you know, previously about, you know, the similarities between myself and, and Tony Rodriguez and, you know, for the audience, um, if you haven't heard his story, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. Go check it out. But, uh, him and I were on completely opposite ends of the spectrum as far as, uh, you know, our job duties, you know, um, he went through terrible things as a child. And then once he got, you know, into that, program he was more more or less a slave just kind of you know almost like a, a mechanic you know if, if i remember right i don't know tony do you remember that he like worked on yeah. ships and he stuff. was he was more hands-on kind of guy and uh right. even bait sometimes he would be put out in the field as bait yeah so uh i was on the complete opposite end of the spectrum and i'm going to try to you know choose my words carefully here so for the audience i'm sorry i I don't want to go into too much detail. It's going to put me in, you know, further uh, jeopardy, but I do want to give some closure on this. Um, uh, Him and I were on completely opposite ends of the spectrum. Uh, I was, uh, you know, I've made it pretty well high up into the ranking and um, some of the things, you know, I was initially or essentially uh, responsible for, um, using guys like Tony Rodriguez as, as bait out into the field and the things that I saw, um, different life forms, um, and the things that were done to them and to our own people, um, I feel very, very responsible for, and it, it really bothers me. I get uh, kind of emotional just thinking about it, that I was capable or, uh, responsible for that. So that's when I initially, you know, uh, sent you the message saying, uh, I'm not, I'm really disturbed by it and I just kind of want to let it go. Uh, and then that night, uh, that same night on the sixth, uh, my wife was in a, uh, a car accident on her way home from work. Um, and I do not find that, uh, as a coincidence whatsoever um she had called me um saying that she had been in a wreck she was hit by a a gmc uh, uh, suv um, like a suburban Um, and initially the ones the suvs that were following me were tahos Um, so this was a gmc suburban uh, and she was t-boned her uh, explorer was totaled and uh luckily she wasn't hurt you know too bad but um by the time i was able to get a ride over here and to go help her um 
the the people were already gone that were the other party in it and uh the police were of no help as far as um the other party was concerned they wouldn't answer questions that i had or that uh my wife had and uh that was the kind of the the last straw there as far as my willingness to go forward um talking about it. I don't want to put myself or my family in any further danger. Yeah, I can understand that. Did you, I mean, the way they were not cooperating and stuff, I mean, were they like not cooperating in the sense that even the legal side of things they weren't abiding by? I mean, I'm assuming you would have had a legally been entitled to insurance information, right? You would think so. Um, whenever, uh, myself and my mother-in-law, um, showed up over there, uh, to go get her, <clears throat> Um, I asked her, uh, you know, who, you know, what happened, you know, what kind of vehicle was it? She said it was a big, you know, extended GMC SUV, which would have been the Suburban, uh, uh, or Denali, whatever. And, uh, she said that a black one T-boned her, it was still sitting over there. Um, it was pulled off into an adjacent, uh, parking lot and the license plates were not on it. Uh, there were no license plates on it. Um, the front end on it was smashed up a little bit, but it definitely did a hell of a lot more damage to, uh, to my wife's vehicle. Uh, and then she said, uh, shortly thereafter, uh, about five minutes later, a second black GMC, uh, SUV showed up, picked that person up. And, uh, once the police arrived, um, the two of them briefly spoke to the police officer, the local police officer, and uh, left, left the scene. And uh, my wife was forced to stay there and answered all these questions. Um, it was it was not her fault, um, but she was placed at fault. And uh, that was really the end of it. You know, and I was asking the police officer questions as regards to why, where are they at? Why weren't they forced to stay? But she is. Um, did you get their information? Um, can I get a copy of it? You know, things like that. And I was basically told it I wasn't even involved in the accident. Um, so I have no further, uh, you know, reason to even be there. Uh, and they wow. wanted to deal with, uh, my wife and, and her alone, but she was never unable or never able to get their in- insurance information. Um, she had got the police report and it basically said that, uh, she was at fault. She pulled out in front of them. Um, uh, but where the accident had happened, she was pulling out of a gas station parking lot and, uh, this SUV ran through a stoplight that is, uh, about a block down. And, you know, my wife was just kind of pulling out or whatever. And she said that they had, uh, gunned it and T-boned the, the back end of, of her car, hit the passenger or uh, the rear driver's side uh, door and just completely crushed it. So do you think that they were aiming for her and missed, or you think they were aiming for that spot and just to send a message? No, I think they were aiming for her. Um, she said she realized uh, that she was getting ready to be hit. Like she initially was kind of just rolling out and getting ready to turn left on the, and and head home from the gas station parking lot. And, uh, 
she realized that that truck or that uh, SUV was uh, gaining speed and was going to hit her. So she had kind of gunned it to uh, try to avoid it. Uh, luckily, she did it just in time to kind of propel herself forward a little bit, or she would have been uh, extremely hurt or you know even killed. Wow. Well, I'm glad she is okay and was able to uh, walk away from it. But uh, it sounds to me like whoever is doing this or did that talked to the police officer, flashed some kind of authoritative paperwork or something like that and said, there's no questions to be asked here. We're going to be leaving. And the police officer's like, okay, you know, that's what it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. So that's how uh, she had kind of described it to me. She's like, they walked up to the police officer, um, handed him something. And she said it was just a matter of, you know, 10 second exchange. And they just up and left. And um, shortly, shortly after that, I believe it was either the next day or the day after. Uh, so maybe the 7th or the 8th, I had gotten a phone call from that same uh, short 2384 um, that had been calling me uh, previously that we had discussed in the last episode. And uh, it was basically, uh, you know, this is what happens type of discussion. I understand. Uh, so, I mean, that was that was kind of, you know, it, as far as it went for me, it was, you know, you know clearly uh, I'm outmatched here. So, yeah. And I understand your hesitations to go any further. In fact, that's one of the things where sometimes I have people asking me um, or telling me that they're disappointed that I don't do I don't you know dig on certain things or uh, I've referenced sometimes in the show that there's some things that I know that I'm not willing to talk about. Um, for instance, there's political figureheads. I'm not going to say anything out past that that I have some serious serious information on from several credible sources, and I can't talk about it because if I talk about it, it's going to put a target on my back. And I got a family just like yeah. you. And I think about that. I think about what happens if something happens to me and my son grows up not knowing his dad. Those are real things. You know what I mean? And so it's It's easy. uh, It's easy to sit there. Yeah. It's easy to sit there and listen to somebody's story and be like, oh, why don't you ask this question? Or you you say that you know this, but you won't tell us. And it's your responsibility to tell us. It's like, listen, I I am telling you. I'm telling you exactly what I'm comfortable telling you because uh, if I go any further there could be serious repercussions and I'm not willing to cross certain lines. I'm willing to tell a lot of lines. I mean, people have seen that on the show. I don't, I really don't care about people's feelings a whole lot. I don't care what your philosophies, philosophies are, your religion, anything like that. I'll say certain things uh, and I don't care. But when it comes to putting me or my family in harm's way, that's just a line I'm not willing to cross. So I respect what your decisions are here. Um, with that said, you had told us that um, whatever you found out disturbed you a lot because you were basically on the opposite end of Tony Rodriguez. And if anybody's listening that hasn't heard that episode, I believe it's episode 91, The Alien Abducted Time Traveler. Uh, that's the episode we're referencing. And um, I wanted to ask you, and you may not know the answer to this, so you were on the other end of the spectrum, kind of in charge of people, things like that, and it really disturbed you that you were able to understand or at least see what you were capable of or what you were doing. Is that something that you know of that um, were you 
willingly by choice doing these things or was it something that like, yeah, you did it, but because you pretty much had to. I had to. Um, so in, in the classroom, um, and you know, throughout all of um, my training and everything, I, uh, excelled, um, I kind of separated myself from everyone else that was in the program with me and, um, tested extremely high in in every aspect and they kind of fast tracked me, um, up, up the ranks, if you will. And, uh, you know, I was not, not proud to say it cause this is completely opposite of how I am today. Um, but I was essentially just a yes man and, um, uh, did whatever I was told to do. And, uh, that makes me absolutely sick to even say that because it's, like I said, it's so, so completely opposite of how I am, um, today. And maybe that's why, you know, there's some subconscious thing, you know, after I was put back or something, but I've never been a yes man. I'm very firm and, you know, the things that I believe in and my morals and everything like that. And I absolutely will not break. And, uh, so it makes, it was troubling to me that I was so willing to do whatever was asked, knowing, uh, damn good and well, how wrong and, uh, immoral that they were. Well, maybe that's kind of a contributing factor subliminally, at least as to why you are the way you are now. You know, uh, yeah. people go through life and they go through experiences that shape and mold them. And I always tell people that you're not going to be the same person you are today, 10 years from now. Just like, uh, Austin, how old are you? Uh, 31. 31. All right. So I'm going to use you as an example. When you were 21 years old, you were a completely different man than you are today. I can guarantee you that. That's the same story with everybody. Yeah. People change over time. And when you're 41, you're going to be even different. And hopefully that difference is a good difference. And I always use that example when I tell people that you need to control the change in your life. Like you're going to change no matter what. And you can either change by default and just become whoever you become, or you can control that change and strive to be the person you want to be. And uh, I say all that to say uh, your experience I think probably shaped and molded you as to who you are today. And whether you initially remembered it up front or not, I think in the back of your mind, clearly you had something in the back of your mind of these memories of sorts, and they probably influenced your decisions that you make today. And so um, you probably learned from your experience, you know, you didn't like who you were and you changed, uh, whether that change was because you remembered or because there's just something inside of you that pushed you in that direction from your experience. Cause obviously it was a traumatizing thing for you. Um, and, yeah. so, and so, uh, man, I, I'm, I'm sorry you went through it. And is there anything else you'd like to share before we move on? Um, not right off the top of my head, but I do want to apologize, you know, as, as we were talking about, you know, the audience asking questions. Um, I really wish that there was more that I could, um, delve into this with and, and give everybody the information, um, that I know they would, they would love to hear and, uh, would kind of make more sense with everything. Um, and, and thank you to all of them that reached out to me. I've got several messages where they enjoyed the show and, you know, asking questions and things like that. Um, that was really cool, but, um, you know, just please try to understand that there's a family involved. Yeah. 
Yeah, hopefully the audience understands it. I'm sure they will. They're very understanding people. And, uh, you know, they, people that listen to these t- kinds of shows, they understand that this stuff is uh, real and it affects real people. And there is real uh, consequences to some of the things that happen with these people, including yourself and uh, their experiences. So, uh, Austin, I appreciate you sharing uh, what you could with us. And uh, I want to kind of shift the whole conversation here uh, because when we first started talking, it was initially about your paranormal experiences and then kind of veered off into the direction we just came from. And so I want to take the next, you know, 30 minutes or so to let you share these experiences that you had. Uh, You grew up in a haunted house and I guess the haunting affected everybody, but mainly it affected you the most, right? Yeah, that's correct. So, I mean, everybody um, that ever set foot in that house had some experience um, but hands down, um, I took the brunt of the activity, um, for, for whatever reason. Um, but that is the first, um, I mean, real memory that I even have is a paranormal experience. Uh, so kind of a little background, uh, leading up to it. Uh, my parents divorced when I was, uh, really young, about three years old. And, uh, Really, I mean, not to sound like a pity party or anything, but kind of just a little backstory how this kind of leads up. Um, I have one memory of my mother and father being together, and they were having an argument. And uh, my sister and I were playing with the. Uh, you remember those old light bright toys? Oh yeah, absolutely. I never, I never had one, and I was yeah. always jealous that I didn't have one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, my sister and I were playing um, with one of those. She was a few years uh, older than me. And uh, I remember listening to our mom and dad arguing and everything. So they had decided they were going to take us to uh, our grandmother's, which is his mom, our dad's mom. And uh, we were going to spend the night over there while they tried to, you know, fix their issues and everything. And uh, so the following morning, uh, when uh, our parents came to pick us up, uh, I had folded. or my grandmother had folded uh, uh, my pajamas up and uh, there was a pull-out couch in the room adjacent to the living room. It was essentially just a big playroom and uh, they had a pull-out couch in there. She had folded my pajamas up, placed them on the edge of the bed and uh, you know, my grandmother was talking to my mom and uh, I remember being in that room and seeing, like watching um, my pajamas, um, lifting up off of the bed and just in thin air, just gone. Like they're floating through the air. And, um, this was a very old home. Um, it was a very open floor plan. Like the entire rooms, um, uh, all the rooms downstairs were either connected by a doorway or there were pocket doors, um, separating them. And my pajamas were floating through my grandmother's room, which was connected to that playroom um, by pocket doors. And they floated through her room and I followed them and they turned the corner and headed up this very steep staircase. And uh, I'm sitting there watching her like, and I'm starting to go up the stairs like, you know, three years old. I'm sure I was thinking what the hell's going on. Um, but my mom, you know, she was like, where's your pajamas? Get your stuff. And I'm like, they're up here. You know, like they just went up there. <laughs> and, uh, uh, 
we couldn't find him and uh we didn't we didn't find him for uh about a month and then um we happened to go spend the night back over there again and they were put out in the exact same spot um that they up and vanished from and that was my first like real memory uh complete memory uh being three years old and seeing that Wow. So you had some poltergeist activity going on around you at three years old, uh, seeing things move around you and stuff. It can be very unnerving, I'm assuming, if you know what's going on. But at three years old, did you comprehend that that wasn't normal? No, no, I had uh, like I knew like this something is moving them, but nothing is there. Something's not right. But I didn't know anything about ghosts. I didn't understand, you know, spirits and, you know, the paranormal realm and everything like that. So, I mean, I was just willingly following it like, you know, hey, you know, that's my stuff. Um, But as I got older, um, so my parents split up um, shortly thereafter. And my sister and I chose to live with our father. And... um, you know, my mom and dad like stayed really good friends and everything, which was amazing to see. Like that's how it should be. Uh, they worked really well together. They were never in court fighting over custody and child support and things like that. You know, they wanted to, you know, us to choose where we wanted to be. Um, so, you know, we chose to live with him to stay in, you know, the same school and, and with our friends and everything. Uh, so that's what we did. And, and my uh, grandmother's health uh, started declining uh, really rapidly. Um, she was pretty well bedridden. She could get up and, you know, go make dinner and things like that. But then she'd be right back in bed. And uh, so we moved in there to uh, so he could kind of look after her uh, as well and, and help her with everything. Um, so that's the house that uh, that I grew up in. And um the activity really just kind of escalated there. So I've kind of picked out some, you know, um, some of the more uh, intense, you know, things to go over. Okay. Um, but, you know, so timeline wise, it kind of just all runs together. So I was there from uh, roughly you know, three years old to um, the time I was 14 and uh then i moved with my mother to go to high school where she was living and uh you know so for 11 years um this was uh almost an everyday thing and that's not an an exaggeration on any uh on any front um a good week for me where i was left alone uh, and didn't deal with this stuff um if it was a good week, there may be uh, one or two days where nothing happened to me wow. um, in a week. So, yeah, um, I know I discussed, you know, in the, in the last episode that if I was home, you know, I was outside playing. And uh, and that's why I, I, I whenever I get home from school, I drop my things off um, and then go straight outside. And I'd be outside until dinner time, and then I'd be back outside until I had to come in and, and get cleaned up and ready for bed, uh, just in hopes of not having to deal with it. Um, so that was kind of the backstory there. But um, you know, some of as far as some of the more intense things that happened. So um, I would be laying in bed. I, I mean, countless times. Uh, where I'd be laying in in my room um, upstairs, 
and uh, uh, the cover, I could feel the covers like being pulled off of me. Um, that that happened. I don't know how many times. Um, so kind of more on the layout of the house um, upstairs. Like I always felt like I knew where this thing was at. Um, like I could just I could just feel it, and I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about that feeling. That uh, I would always know when something was getting ready to happen, and I would always know where it is, even if I was. And it was, you know, ninety um, percent of the time it was upstairs. Um, but like I said, it was a really steep staircase, and uh, once you kind of come up, there's like a half wall thing right in front of the top of the staircase to the immediate right of the staircase at the top was my sister's room um to the left where that partial wall was at was like a big open uh living room area and then to um the left of that was um uh, like an enormous bedroom that was you know for the better part of my childhood was my dad and my room because it was so big like it took up almost the entire length of the house uh, so he kind of had the front room, the front part of it, and I had the back part. Well, the back part was kind of almost like an A-frame type, um, how the drywall was. And my bed was kind of up un- underneath that part. So, and it had like, uh, you've seen those old houses that have like those little, oh, maybe three foot uh, little storage room door. It's not like a full, you know, stand up walkthrough yeah. door. It's almost like a little half door if you will kind of like a cubby space you know what I'm talking about. yeah so my bed was right up against that uh that door and you know i would feel my covers being pulled off of me um you know countless times at least a couple times a week uh for 11 years and uh one night i was laying in bed i was awake and I could feel something was getting ready to happen. And it was just like, you hear about the fight or flight thing, but I feel like there's a third, like where you just freeze. And sometimes I would just freeze. And this was one of those times where I'm laying there. I know something's getting ready to happen. And then I just happened to look over and it was as if it's, man, it sounds so crazy to say out loud, but like I could see it behind the wallpaper and it crawled up behind the wallpaper up through the A-frame structure uh, in the drywall down the other side of my bed right next to me and what I assumed disappeared into that little cubby space and it freaked me out like beyond measure but I couldn't scream I couldn't do anything I was just frozen and I just remember closing my eyes and thinking, you know, for the love of God, like, please just leave me alone. I just want to go to sleep. And, um, uh, that night, um, uh, I woke up in that cubby hole, but my, I couldn't open the door to get out, um, uh, because my bed was blocking it. So somehow my bed was moved. I was moved, put into that cubby hole and my bed was moved back in front of that door. And my dad could hear me pounding on the door and screaming because it's pitch black in there. I think I was like uh, maybe seven at the time when this one happened. And, uh, you know, he's you know yelling at me like it's my fault. Like, how the hell would I 
move the bed back in front of the door from inside the room. But I would always tell him, you know, the things that I would see and the things that would happen. And, uh, he just, he had a really hard time dealing with, or, you know, reacting to it or knowing how to react to things like that. The same deal with the whole, you know, um, uh, experience that I had, you know, that we had talked about, uh, he didn't know how to react to that. Who does? Uh, so, I mean, I'm not mad at him for it, but he would almost try to act, play it as if I was crazy or something, but then. You know, just a couple of years ago, he finally opened up and told me that he had stuff happen to him too, but he didn't want to tell me that to freak me out. But he let me go on, you know, all my life thinking that I was nuts or that those things weren't really happening or it was just the wind was one of his favorite excuses. Uh, so that one, that one was probably the most, well, I don't want to even say the most intense, um, but that one was a big one that really kind of was traumatizing. Um, I don't want to shotgun these. So if you need to interrupt me and ask questions or anything, by all means, go ahead. Well, no, Uh, I, I wanted to ask you. So when you wound up in that crawl space, cubby hole, whatever it was, uh, you don't remember going in there. You don't know how you got in there, but somehow you got in there with the bed blocking the door to get out. Right. Correct. Do you think that this is something that, um, because there's several different options you can go with this where it's like you could have gone into a trance and went in there and then something moved the bed. Do you think that there was some kind of teleportation involved here? I mean, because we know how your life has been, I don't want to put anything past your experiences because even seeing the stuff floating up the stairs, your pajamas and stuff, I was sitting here thinking, okay, it sounds like a paranormal experience. But knowing your life story, it makes me wonder if there is some kind of uh, uh, technology that these people have to use around you to mess with you, you know, like why would they? Why would they yeah. want to mess with you? I don't know, but it just and just putting out ideas and thoughts because knowing your backstory, uh, sometimes I wonder: is it paranormal or is it somebody messing with you, making it look paranormal? Does that make sense? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm very, very open-minded. And I've thought about that as well. You know, if it was all connected or, you know, what it could be, but I mean, that's why I stay open about it because I absolutely have no idea. I don't know how the hell that happened. Um, So I can't definitively say, I do feel like it was paranormal and I'll kind of, as we go along here that, it it makes me feel that way for sure. But, you know, an instance like that where I'm physically moved, I can definitely see, you know, the other alternative being an option as well. Um, but my aunt, so, um, my father's sister, uh, she's since passed away. Um, she was a totally hateful person. Uh, we absolutely hated her being around. She was from up around, um, the South Bend area and she would come down every so often and it was just the worst man. <laughs> so whenever she would come down, um, you know, most of the time we'd go stay at a hotel for the week if she was going to be staying for a week. And, uh, yeah, she was sweet. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, she came down and this was one, uh, rare instance where we stayed and she always favored my sister. Uh, my sister and I were never really close. Uh, like since she was, I think she's four years older than me. Um, uh, but, um, uh, 
you know, her and I were never really close. Um, for whatever reason, she was always kind of jealous of me. Um, she thought that my dad favored me or whatever. Um, I don't know, but, um, so my aunt really kind of favored her and I woke up one evening with, um, my sister standing over me with my aunt's, um, little, what do you call it? Like little knitting sticks things, you know, oh, little, little sharp stuff. pointy things. Yeah. Um, so she's standing over me with those and she's got them like jabbed into my throat. And, uh, I may have been, it's probably about the same time period. I was probably about seven. And, uh, so my sister would have been about 11 and, uh, Yes, I remember like yelling for my dad and my sister has got this crazy look in her eye and uh, got these things to my throat and uh, I'm like piercing the skin a little bit like I was bleeding and uh, um, you know, so my dad, you know, whooped her ass, you know, because you could back in those days and my sister said that my aunt made her do it so my aunt which we ended up finding out dabbled in the occult and i found this out when i was like 19 i came back to visit uh, my grandma and uh my aunt had moved in with her at the time so i found out then that my aunt had dabbled in the occult for the majority of her life and that she did not care much for me uh, whenever i was little for whatever reason i never did anything to her uh, but um, she, her and I had talked about that. She said, yeah, she did that. She made my sister, told my sister to do that. And she also conjured up a uh, entity uh, to torment me. And um, I remember this one. This one was like hands down the most intense thing to happen. So uh, this old house, man, it had a, a, a basement under it that was just, you know, wet and, and musty smelling. Like, uh, I always hated going down there every once in a while, you know, like in the spring or something when a tornado alarm would go off, we'd have to go down there. And I always hated it. It was kind of creeped out by it. But, um, this instance, uh, my grandma, um, uh, had me go down there for something. I can't even remember what it was, but as I got down there, I just got those cold chills and I know something's here with me. I don't like it. And something's getting ready to happen. I'm not ready for it. This is not a good feeling. And uh, down there, uh, my grandma had like a row uh, or two rows of like the old aluminum lawn chairs, you know, like with like that nylon weaving. You remember those? Yeah. Um, so she had a couple of rows down there. Um, leaned up against the wall and I remember turning around and I look at it and I see this shadow figure standing, um, between the two rows and both rows come flying out at me, like across the basement floor. And I remember like dropping down, like back up against the wall, like sliding down to, uh, you know, sit on my butt and like just cover my face or cover my face with my hands. And I'm just like freaking out. I remember screaming and uh, yelling for my grandma to come down there. My dad wasn't home. And uh, she couldn't because she couldn't really get around very much. But 
uh, I mean, that was probably the, the freakiest thing. And just hearing it all crashing and, uh, you know, hitting me and sliding up against me and everything. That was probably the, the most intense thing that happened because I saw it like visually, like I'm looking right at it. And I, like I see its hands move and the chairs, the rows of chairs come flying at me. Yeah, that'd be frightening. Absolutely frightening. Did your aunt tell you why she despised you so much? Like, did she really go into the details as to why she had it out for you? No, so no. So I asked her, and and like you know, we discussed before. Man, I was a good kid. I was good in school. Uh, huge in the sports, man. I was always playing baseball, basketball, football, whatever, and uh, never in any trouble. And uh, I've never always really nice to everybody and always treated everybody in the way that I wanted to be treated, especially, you know, my elders and everything. That's just how I was, how I was raised, you know, treat your elders with respect. And, uh, so I was always nice to her. Um, but you know, she never said, she's just like, I just didn't like you. She's like, just didn't care much for you. It's like, you know, I love your sister. It's like, why? She's a bitch. Wow. <laughs> but, uh, so did, <laughs> All right, so your she tells your sister to do that. Did your sister do it like okay, my aunt told me to do this, so I'm going to do it or was it something like, you know, more mystical as to why or how she did it? I mean, like I can't yeah, imagine like she's my under a spell or something. Yeah, because I I like I have a younger sister. She's 5 years younger than me, and there were times I was not a good big brother when I was younger. I was I was just wasn't a nice person. And even though I was such a mean person, my sister never would have agreed to do something like that. And so like, I just can't fathom the fact that your sister would just be like, okay, I'll do it. And whatever, you know? Yeah. I mean, that just really, uh, I don't think she was under any kind of spell or anything, man. I mean, that's just, like I said, man, we were never close. uh, And she was extremely jealous of me for whatever reason. My dad never treated her any different than me. Um, So I don't know where she came up with all that stuff but i know like i mean i heard it from as far back as i can remember like she doesn't she would you know openly tell me that she doesn't want me around she never wanted a little brother anyway you know those kinds of things uh so i think she's more than willing to do it that's just the type of person she was she was a terrible like especially once she got into her teenage years she was an absolute horror (laughs) but um, I mean, I guess it's entirely possible that she was, you know, under some sort of spell or something, but I firmly believe that she's just that willing to do it. Yeah. You know, you said that your aunt dabbled in the occult most of her life. I'm like, that's probably not dabbling. <laughs> that's more of a yeah. commitment. Yeah. Yeah. She was, she was in it. And, um, uh, you know, she told me this all when I was about 19. I think she passed away when I was about 20. But um, she she had openly told me, that, yeah, she anytime that she would come here, she would do her best to conjure something up to torment me. And uh, I believe that what was down in the basement was uh, was one of those entities. Jeez. Well, I'm sorry you had to go but, through that, man. Yeah, yeah, man. It was... Uh, <laughs> It was something else. So, so I've always had this um, like strange fascination, like especially now as I'm older um, and things have happened involving my kids um, uh, that I, I share with you too. But 
I've had this strange fascination with it, you know, ever since I moved out of that house and moved in with my mom uh, to go to high school where she was living. Uh, Like, I almost like wish I would have handled it or reacted differently to certain things. Um, And then, you know, I, I, I feel like that now. And then when I've had my experiences as an adult, it's just like, there's no way like you can control how you react to something that's not there doing something you know what i mean that something's moving or whatever the case may be right that there's no logical explanation for like there's no manual or no training yourself how to how to react to it or something i don't know it's just it's one of those things that catches you so off guard but i remember um yeah i was probably about 10 at this point and super nintendo was the rage you know back then and uh Super Mario Kart was out, and I was I've been tearing that up with all the neighborhood neighborhood kids. And I remember thinking, like, I'm not going to be a little girl about this. Like, I'm going to go home. I'm going upstairs. I'm going to play Super Mario Kart after work, giving myself the pep talk, you know, giving myself the business all day at school. <laughs> and, uh, uh, because I felt like, you know, like I said, the majority of the time, everything was upstairs. And there was a storage room shed in between my dad's portion of the room and mine in the back half. And I always felt like that's where it stays or whatever, uh, if that makes any sense. But I'm sitting there on the edge of uh, edge of my bed and I'm playing uh, Mario Kart. And I remember pausing the game and just being completely covered in goosebumps. And it's like, oh, God, you know, something's getting ready to happen again. Like, I I remember closing my eyes. It's like, I don't even want to open them. I don't want to see what's about, to, about ready to happen. And uh, I just remember just, like, almost, like, shaking my head. And it's like, damn it, you know. Like, this is what I get for trying to be brave, you know. And uh, I remember opening my eyes and seeing that storage room door open really slowly. Like, I remember hearing the metal doorknob turning on it, hearing it creak open, and then the thing slam shut, like, as I'm watching it, just, like, a few feet away from me. And uh, I remember that was one of the uh, the flight reactions where I just up and booked it downstairs. And my dad, you know, trying to tell me it was the wind. And uh, I remember that happening quite a bit, you know, where doors and things would open it shut right in front of me. Uh, chairs would pull out in front of the kitchen, uh, like walking into the kitchen. Uh, chairs would pull out from the table right in front of you, like cutting you off. Uh, the microwave would open and shut and turn itself on. Water turn itself on and off. Lights, all that good stuff. Uh, so yeah, that was that was the majority of it, and. Uh, pictures hanging up on the wall like you couldn't hang anything straight Um, you could sit there and straighten the picture back up and then you could take a step back and then it was almost as if you could see something hit the bottom of it and it would just like kind of get it kind of cockeyed a little bit as you could just sit there and do that all day long and as soon as you'd step back it would hit and you could see the corner of it bump up the bottom corner and go back to being crooked. You know, it sounds like whatever this was, 
was more often than not a menace than anything. I mean, what's the point of opening a door slowly then slamming it shut? What's the point of pulling a chair out in front of you? What's the point of making the the pictures crooked? It seems like it's just being a menace trying to get a reaction. Yeah. So, um, probably, well, it was right shortly before I moved out and moved um, to my mom's. Uh, so I was 14 and, um, I remember just like having a breakdown, like to my dad. It's like, I'm not like, no, it's not the wind. Like quit telling me this. And this is like one of the very few times that I ever like raised my voice at my dad. But it's just like, you're not listening to me. You're, you're trying to pawn it off. Like it's something that it's not like, I just listen to me and hear me out. Because, you know, like I said, at this point, you know, he had never told me anything that he had an experience. In my mind, at that point, he was the only person that has ever been in this house that nothing's ever happened to, which didn't make sense to me. And uh, uh, so he would always try to tell me as a win. And I remember, like, raising my voice at it, like, you know, damn it. No, it's not. You know, like, how's the wind going to? I can see how it would open it but it's just going to reverse direction and slam it shut, you know, five times harder than how it was opened, you know, things like that. And, uh, but I remember having a breakdown to him. Like, I can't handle this anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to high school with mom. I'm going to move with mom and, uh, I can't keep doing this. And I had a, the first, uh, what do you call it? Lucid dream. Is, is that what it's called? A vivid dream, lucid yeah. dream, whatever. So, um, I had the very first one of those that I ever had. And this sounds so crazy to say it, but this man in a military uniform took me to Disney world. And he was telling me that he was my grandfather, uh, my dad's dad. And, uh, that he knows like he was, he was listening to me talk to my dad and he feels absolutely horrible that, uh, uh, he's frightened me. Um, uh, and his only intentions upon doing things like that, turning the lights on, opening the doors, things like that were him letting me know that he was there. Well, I never met him. My grandfather passed away when my dad was eight years old. And my dad barely remembers him. There were no pictures up in the house of him. I had no clue what this dude looked like. And I remember having, uh, and I remember him saying, like, uh, I brought you here to know, so you know that you're safe and that I'm not going to hurt you. Uh, I just want you to know that I'm around and that I look after you. And that was when he told me in my dream about the thing that I saw in the basement that there are entities in the house that are trying to hurt me and he's trying to help me uh, keep them away. And uh, he will no longer, uh, you know, do the things that he's been doing that scared me so much. And uh, from that point on, I never had another experience for the last few months that I finished school up there with my dad and uh, moved with my mom. But, I remember waking up and telling my dad, like, I saw this guy, he claims that he's your dad. And, uh, you know, my dad was kind of freaked out. He's like, what was he wearing? And I described his uniform to him 
And my dad went in that storage room, dug around in some of his things and pulled out my grandfather's military um, photograph. And it was hands down. That was who I saw. Wow. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, it was, it was, it was nuts. So, um, but that was the last thing that ever happened to me there. Um, Go ahead. I don't think you're getting to ask something. Yeah, I wanted to ask you what your grandfather did in the military. Was he just a general military guy, or did he do anything special? I mean, I, I'm just asking for I have obvious no idea, reasons. Man, um, I have no idea, and um, my dad doesn't know. Um, my grandma, uh, she never told me anything about him. Um, so I believe I had even, uh, you know mentioned that to you in a, in a uh, message that I sent you about this whole other, you know, the 20 and back experience or, or whatever you want to call it a mine where it's like, well, maybe he was something in the military and they kind of kept tabs on his family, so to speak, or something. And that's how I was chosen. I don't know. I'm open to that, but I mean, I have no information about my grandfather at all. Well, it makes me wonder just, you know, how involved your grandfather was and, you know, uh, what your grandfather die from? Um, a heart attack. Um, and he was, he was relatively young, man. And, uh, I said, my dad was only eight at the time and he wasn't around much. Uh, so my dad has like zero memory of him at all, which is weird, you know, for my dad being eight, like he has no memory of, of his dad at all. Wow. Uh, you know, it's just yeah. one of those things where it, it makes you wonder if there's anything tied in there with uh, your experiences yeah. of being chosen for a 20 back and then also rising in the ranks and all that kind of stuff. But that's all, you know, speculation. There's no uh, reasons right. to expound on that thought. Uh, but you mentioned that uh, I guess your kids have been having experiences and stuff. What do you mean by that? So um, my ex-wife and I, uh, we had this place, uh, uh, we rented this house probably, uh, three hours or so south of here. And, uh, when we first moved in there, like we had to clean it up. Like the people that moved out kind of just, it was like they left everything and, uh, just took off. And so we offered to clean it up as like no down or no security deposit, you know, one of those type of things. We'll clean it up. We'll fix it up. Just we'll pay you the first month's rent and don't worry about the security deposit. So they were all for it, you know, uh, so they didn't have to do the work. And uh, so when we moved in, like there were, um, there was like this medicine type thing that were in cans that were almost like little Pediasure type things. So we looked it up, um, the name of it, and it was for like cancer patients and, and things like that. I remember a few cases of that stuff being left um, under the sink. And, um, you know, we didn't, we didn't think much of it. We just did what we had to do, cleaned it out, repainted it, cleaned the carpets, all that good stuff. And we just had our oldest son at the time. He was, uh, he was either, he had either just turned four or was getting ready to turn four. And my ex-wife was pregnant with our second son. She was getting ready to have him at any point. Um, 
and when we first moved in, our oldest son, like his room, like he didn't didn't want any part of it. He didn't want to go back there. He didn't want to. He didn't want to sleep in there. He didn't want to play in there. Like nothing. He did, he wanted no part of that room whatsoever. And then after our second son was born, uh, that completely flipped. We couldn't get him out of the room, but he started acting really different. Like he had an attitude. Every time I would even go back in there uh, and try to like get him to come play or something, uh, always been real hands on with my kids. You know, really active with them. I try to get him to come out, come play, wrestle around, whatever. And uh, he would like push me out of his room and shut the door. And he started telling me that Corey doesn't want you in here. Oh, and I started asking, "Well, who's Corey?" And uh, and uh, so he started telling me that it was this thing and uh, that it was this black uh, shadow figure and it had um, red eyes. And every time that uh, he would tell us this, like nothing changed. The description stayed the same, all that stuff. So we kind of started digging into it and we found out that some guy uh, a kid, he was like 18 years old, um, named Corey. So I can't remember his last name now, but he had passed away and he lived there. And uh, um, our son had told us that he died in a fire. So we kind of dug around trying to figure out what happened to this kid. Well, he wrecked his uh, car coming home from like a church camp uh, thing. And he was trapped in it, and the car caught on fire. So that kind of freaked us out. And it's like, okay, there's obviously something like legit going on in here. And I'm a firm believer in it from the shit that I experienced growing up. That like he's he's not lying. Like how would he know that? You know. Um, so we ended up um, we're talking about it. Like how are we going to deal with this? Like she wanted to move. Uh, but we just couldn't afford to at the time. And so it's like, how are we going to deal with this? Uh, and I remember us standing in the kitchen and there was an island uh, counter uh, in the kitchen and we're kind of like leaned up against it and kind of just, you know, shooting back and forth what we're thinking. And uh, um, we had our silverware thing that was in the drawer of the island thing. And it started rattling really, uh, really heavily. And then we heard uh, footsteps, like running circles around the island and around us. And she immediately freaked out, uh, my ex-wife. And um, she had looked up this paranormal company that was relatively close to us. and. I watch those shows and stuff just because, like I said, I'm fascinated in it. But it's like, not that I think that they're full of crap or anything, but I've got like a healthy skepticism, you know what I mean, if you will. And uh, so it's just like, so this, you know, random paranormal company from 30 minutes down the road, like they're going to be legit and everything, like get out of here. But if it's going to make you feel better, then we can have them come out. So they did. And, uh, you know, we met them and everything, and they said they were going to come back that weekend and do an overnight thing. But I remember them 
in the initial like uh, introduction thing when they came to our house, like they set us down on the couch and uh, took our picture like as a family, and then they were like, one of them leaned over and was like, "Oh my god, look at this!" It's like what? Show us, and they wouldn't. Which is like, okay, these guys are quacks. But then when they showed up, I was like, here's the thing, man. I don't mind you guys doing this, but I want to stay. So I know that you're not full of crap. I want to be a part of it. And they was like, yeah, no problem. It's like, all right. So they set all their stuff up. And at the minute that they plugged everything in, um, uh, everything just started going haywire. All their instruments and everything were just lighting up. They were getting uh, EVPs and this and that. And uh, uh, so I was like, okay, you know, here, here we go. And I remember they were getting, they were getting EVPs about uh, this kid that had passed away and saying that, uh, like, let me out of the car and things like that. And, uh, you know, where's, you know, my oldest son's name? You know, they said, you know, where is he? And things like that. So she had went, took the boys to stay at her mom and dad's for the night. She wanted no part of it. And she didn't tell uh, our oldest, you know, what was going on and what we were doing there at the house. But I remember, um, you know, before even getting them there, kind of backtracking a little bit, um, my cousin, uh, we ended up finding out knew that Corey kid that died, and uh, she was telling me about him and everything, and that uh, his brother took it really hard when Corey passed. And so at one one point during the night, I said, I think his name was like Kevin or something like that. So you know, do you want me to relay a message for Kevin and let him know you're okay? And it came back with F U on the EVP, like when we played it back um it was just me and one other guy in the room and when we played it back i mean it was like screaming f you at me the moment that i said do you want me to tell kevin that you're okay or give him a message and uh, so we caught that and then there was uh, a couple of evps where kind of the the leader in the group if you will he was saying that, uh, you know, this guy's ex-wife is really scared. She's wanting to move. And one of the EVPs said, good, get the F out. And uh, so this went on all night. We got, like, video footage of uh, my son was really into Ninja Turtles at the time. And he had one of, like, the, the Ninja Turtle shell shock vans or whatever. And it got we got video of it rolling across his bedroom floor. Um, and several other things that that were going on all night long. So they ended up leaving at like three or four in the morning and I was left dealing with the aftermath of it. And as soon as they left, like I remember being just having this completely uneasy feeling. It was just like, I don't like this at all, man. Like I felt like I could feel something just in my face and, uh, I didn't like it. And I remember calling her. It's like, yeah, please come back home. <laughs> you know, like I, was, I think I was uh, 25 at the time, maybe. And just being like, please come back home. I don't, I don't like this. 
I don't want to be here by myself. And, uh, but when they came home in the morning, like I remember going to bed at night, like grown man, 25 years old, like pulling the covers up over my head. It's like, I don't, I have never felt this uncomfortable in my life. And, uh, like I said, I could just feel something like it was like right on top of me, right in my face. And, uh, this was the night that I had my second and last uh, lucid dream. And for whatever reason, uh, you know, I was talking to my mom and dad in the dream and talking about the whole uh, experience of the paranormal group being there. And as I'm talking to them in my dream, uh, my phone rings and there's no number that pops up. It just says, Corey. And I answer the phone and he's screaming at me like, how dare you? You're trying to get rid of me. Uh, you know, F you get the F out of my house. It's my house. Uh, I'm not going anywhere. Uh, you're not going to like what happens next. And, uh, just screaming these things at me. And then like, I remember waking up feeling like, Oh my God, you know, like he's, he's pissed. Like, this isn't going to be good. And, uh, my wife brought the boys home and it was probably nine or 10 in the morning. And the moment, like I said, our oldest son didn't know what we were doing. Uh, but as soon as he stepped foot through the front door, like he froze in the doorway and like he put like kind of shrugged his shoulders up and like closed his eyes. And I was like, yeah, hey, bub, like, you okay? And he just, like, shook his head, and he's like, Corey's mad at you, Dad. He's like, what did you do? And uh, and that really freaked me out. But uh, we ended up having to move out of there probably a few months later. And uh, But that was that was the only thing that's happened to the kids, but it was kind of kind of freaky. Yeah, absolutely freaky. And, you know, I'm sitting here listening to you share this story, and you have this character named Corey. And I don't know, man, like, do you ever get the sense that Corey isn't the Corey that you found out that lived there, but maybe this was some yeah. kind of entity that was portraying itself? Because, I mean, really, I, like, if somebody dies and their spirit is, you know, haunting a location, do they develop red eyes? Do they become evil? I mean, it doesn't seem like... Right this was something that was, um, kind. Yeah. And, um, I remember talking to my cousin about it when she was telling me, uh, like she was, she's always been fascinated by paranormal stuff too. So I would kind of talk to her about it. Uh, she knew what, you know, the activity and stuff that was going on in the house. And when I told her that, you know, we found out that this, you know, Corey, whatever his last name, well, I want to say like Robertson or Robinson, something something similar to that so she was like oh my god i went to school with this kid and she was like he was a total sweetheart loved playing you know he was you know, always playing with the kids in the neighborhood and everything like that huge in the church you know one of the nicest kids you'd ever want to meet well it's like well why is he presenting himself if that's who it is why is he presenting himself black with red eyes and why would he not want me to have anything to do with my kid because like I said, man, he would shove me like backwards, like out of the, out of his room and slam the door and tell me, Corey does not want me in here. Yeah. That's just disturbing. That's just disturbing. Uh, man, yeah. 
I'm glad that that situation's over with. <laughs> really. Yeah. Yeah. But outside of that, I mean, as far as like residential stuff, um, I haven't had any other hauntings. The only other time that I've experienced anything is uh, uh, my now wife and I, um, since we've been together, we go down to Waverly Hills once a year. And uh, every time we've been down there, we've we've had an experience. Um, the last, the first time that we went, um, she kind of had more, uh, experiences than what I did. Uh, her hair was pulled and there was an EVP that, uh, uh, her mom had went with us that she had got where, um, she was asking, you know, like, is there somebody here? You know, where are you? And it was saying, you know, by my wife's name, uh, saying, you know, I'm, I'm by Michelle or next to Michelle. And it pull her hair. And then the last time that we went, I had all the experiences. I was, my shirt was pulled. Um, there's one place down on the, uh, the first floor where they said the kids used to like, uh, like to play hide and seek. And it was like in this old, like walk-in refrigerator and they asked for volunteers. And my dumb ass volunteered to go stand in there by myself. And, uh, so I get in there and, uh, as soon as I'm, I'm in there for maybe 10 seconds and I hear something shuffling behind me. And, uh, next thing I know, like both arms of my shirt are being pulled and, uh, you know, countless shadow figures and, and EVPs and things like that. But I mean, that's, that's stuff we ask for that we go pay for. So right. <laughs> as far as residential stuff, you know, that's, that's been about it. <clears throat> well, I'll tell you what, man, I do appreciate you sharing these, these stories and giving us an update on your experiences, you know, with the hypnosis and things like that. Um, dude, listen, if you come across any more information about things that you'd like to share, you have a green light to come on and share. It doesn't need to be an entire episode, even if it's just 10 minutes of just talking. If there's something that you would like to share, you have a green light to come contact me and come on the show. All right, man. I appreciate that. Uh, we'll see if everything kind of stays died down and kind of blows over a little bit. And I, I may take you up on that. All right, brother. Well, until next time, take care, man. All right. You too, man. Thank you.